being said, I'm going to read a scripture for you today. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, it's pretty lengthy. It's John chapter 9. So if you do have a Bible or you want to buy, open your Bible app, uh, I want to invite you to join me. But it's John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Uh, normally I don't do this, but I'm going to read this out of the message translation of the Bible. Uh, it's a new modern version. But uh, the reason I'm reading it out of the message is because, man, this thing, it sounds really good in this version. And I think it just speaks to the real issues that you see in this passage very, very clearly. And so it's John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. I'm not even going to make you stand because we're not all training for a marathon, right? Just some of us. So John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for somebody to blame. There's no cause and effect here. Look instead, of, look, look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines, because when night falls, the work day's over. For as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this, and then he spit in the dust and made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives, those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging, were saying, why isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him all right. But others objected. It's not the same guy. It just looks like him. He said, uh, it's me, the very one. They said, well, how did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and he rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. So where is he? Guy says, I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees, which I would hope by now we understand that's not necessarily a good thing, right? All right. They marched the guy to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. He said, he put a clay paste on my eyes. I washed. Now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, well, how can a bad man do miraculous God-revealing things like this? So there was a split in their ranks. They came back at the blind man. Hey, you're the expert. He opened your eyes. So what do you say about him? So the man said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. Didn't believe that the man was even blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man who's now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, is this your son? The one who you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, we know he's our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. We don't have a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man. He can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's a grown man. They called the man back a second time. The man who'd been blind and told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. He said, I don't know anything about that, one way or the other. But I do know one thing. I was blind. And now I can see. They said, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
I've told you over and over and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man said, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never seen, has never been heard of. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you know what, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and he went and found him, and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, well, point him out to me, sir, so I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Do you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see, and those who've been made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, are you calling us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you'd be blameless, but since you claim to see so well, you're accountable for every fault and every failure. That's called Jesus dropping the hammer, okay? Uh, when I worked for my grandfather and my father at Doring Truck Parts on the south side of Peoria, Illinois, uh, during a break in college, I did most of my work in their warehouse. And uh, this warehouse at this truck parts store had pretty much anything you could imagine, everything from drive shafts to transmission parts to everything all the way down to just little teeny tiny like electrical connectors and all kind, anything that you'd need to run a big giant rig. And uh, that included stickers. I don't know if you've ever noticed as you're looking at a big rig, uh, a semi-tractor trailer is covered with all kinds of different stickers. Hazardous material, this, that, don't push that, push this, all that kind of stuff is all over this thing. And there was one sticker, one sticker that we always had in stock, and I can almost guarantee that every single one of you have seen this sticker on the back of their actual trailer uh, if you've ever driven on the interstate. And this is the sticker right here. Caution, if you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. Please stay back. In other words, tractor trailers have blind spots, okay? And so if they're making a turn and you're in this certain area, or if you're too close to the end of them, they can't see you. So in, in essence, it's really on you. you. They're not responsible because they can't see where you're at. Now, metaphorically speaking, we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. Uh, stuff that prevents us from seeing things clearly. Sometimes those blind spots are unintentional. For a tractor truck, I mean, it, it, there's just no, they can't help it. There are blind spots. However, again, metaphorically speaking, sometimes our blind spots are not quite as innocent, as innocent. Um, we've been in this series now for a few weeks looking at Jesus's encounters with people and how those encounters always lead to a decision. They always lead to a decision. And so in the scene that I just read for you, What's really interesting is the only one struggling with a blind spot, uh, not struggling with a blind spot, is the guy who was actually blind. 
Everybody else is really struggling in this story. And the decision I think that we see in this encounter with Jesus is really, really clear. We need to address our blind spots so we don't miss what God is doing right in front of us. We need to address our blind spots so we don't miss what God's doing right in front of us. Now, if you don't think this, you're like, Pastor Rich, I I don't think I really have any blind spots. It's not really a big issue for me. Welcome to your blind spot. We all have them. And today, I just want to cover the blind spots we see in this passage. Okay, as a church, I don't want us, okay, to miss what God is doing in our midst, what God is doing right in front of us. I want us to be tuned into the Spirit of God and what what he's doing. Now, the first blind spot, so we're just going to jump right in, that we see is a blind spot of judgment. A blind spot of judgment. So Jesus, his disciples, they're walking near the temple, through the temple near Jerusalem, uh, and, and they see a blind man from birth. So the guy's been blind his entire life. Again, from the last couple of weeks, I think it's evident we keep talking about this, but if you were disabled, if you had some kind of infirmity, if you had uh, a disease, uh, any, anything like that, if you were mentally ill, you were cast out. There, were, there must have been something that you had done that meant God was eking out his punishment on you for, for this. And so you are a lower caste of society, almost treated as invisible if you had these issues. Okay, so that's what's going on. And that mentality is actually revealed by the very question. That are, that's coming out of the mouths of these men, these, these disciples that have been following Jesus literally every waking moment. Yet this question comes out of their mouth. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who sinned? Right. Now here's the deal. If that's the question that falls in line with your worldview, it presupposes some other things. Okay. Like, it must mean that if I'm not sick, and if I'm not poor, if I'm not disabled, then I must be doing all right. I must have God's favor on my life. Hashtag blessed, right? I mean, it's just, that must be how that works. I must be a blessed person. It's actually the root of the prosperity movement in the church. This, this idea that prosperity somehow in my life is evidence of God's blessing in my life, that somehow I've acted in a certain way or done a certain thing or gotten God's attention in just the right way that I have found favor with God. So the, the reverse of that would then be true, right? Not receiving those things, not being blessed, being struck with an illness, being in a situation of poverty must mean that I've not done the right things, that I've done something wrong and I'm not doing the right things. The disciples, as they're walking up on this scene, they're seeing this man as unworthy of the grace of God. Something has happened. He or somebody else has done something that has taken him out of the eyes of God, out of the favor of God, and there's no way that that man is blessed. A little side thing is it also makes them a little bit, I mean, look at who they're hanging out with, the new cool guy in town, right? So, I mean, it elevates them just a little bit too. Now, if you think I'm making the guys, these disciples out as kind of bad guys in this situation, you got to remember at least a couple of these guys one time went to their mommy and had their mommy go to Jesus to see if they could kind of get a spot at the front of the line. That's these guys. Some of them argued about which one of them could be Jesus' best friend. Okay, that's these guys. All right, so we don't want to give them too much of the benefit of the doubt. All right, so they're, they're still very, very human. Very human. Now, 
Here's the deal. I'm encouraged that Jesus does not really let this question sit very long. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he, he was born blind? He doesn't let it sit there very long. Psalm 103, verse 10 says this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, which is a good thing because then we'd all be deaf and blind, right? So he doesn't repay us that way. So the question then for us is, do we have any blind spots? Is this a blind spot for us? At a surface level, it would seem like it's not, okay? I don't think any of us would want to admit maybe this is a blind spot for us, but um, I think it's really, really easy to slip into a mode of have and have not as an indicator of spiritual blessing. I think it's really, really easy. The disciples did it. And as a side note, um, I don't know who needs this, but if you're going through something right now, it could be an illness, could be a family thing, could be whatever, but if you're going through a dark spot right now, you need to understand that God is with you. God is with you. He loves you. He has not left you. Even though you're going through something that feels like maybe he has. He's with you. There was a, a story I heard once. This uh, 13-year-old boy lost his eyesight in a chemical accident. And uh, it just thrust him really into deep, deep depression. He would spend days in, locked in his room with his headphones on, just listening to music and trying just to drown out the pain of the fact that his life was over. He, there, there was no future for him. He was angry, mostly, just rage, full of anger that, that his sight had been taken away, his future had been taken away. He couldn't do anything anymore. And so one day, finally, his dad actually burst into his room, pulled the headphones off of him, and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get up, you're going to get dressed, you're going to go out to the garage, get the ladder. You're going to take the ladder, you're going to put it against the house, you're going to clean out all of the gutters, and you need to get it done by the time I get home from work tonight. Then his dad left the room and slammed the door. Well, the kid was totally ticked. Like, how dare you? Do you not understand what's going on in my life? Do you not understand how angry I am that I can't do these things? You know what? And this is what the kid did. He's like, fine. I'll go get the ladder, I'll go clean out the gutters, then I'll fall off and break my neck. Not only will I be blind, but you'll also have a paralyzed kid on your hands, so good for you. So he decides, this is what I'm going to do. So he did. He spent the entire day fumbling around, making his way out, getting the ladder, putting it up against the house, methodically going, methodically going, and about halfway through the day, he realizes, I think I can actually do this job. And by the end of the day, all of the gutters were cleaned, the ladder was put away, and he was back in his room. And it was only later that he found out that the entire day, his dad was only about two feet away. Listen, God does not abandon us in our situation. He does not promise that we are going to live a life without struggle. In fact, Jesus pretty much guarantees we will. In this world, you will have trouble, is what Jesus said. But he's overcome the world, all right? He's with us in the midst of whatever we're going through. The, the disciples in this situation, they had a blind spot of faulty judgment. And in doing so, they were blind to what God was doing and could do in the midst of what was going on. Now, if you don't struggle with this blind spot of judgment, maybe it's the blind spot of religion. I think I put it in your notes there, but uh, religion, if you just want to simply define religion, is a system of beliefs 
by which a framework for living is established. So you have a system of beliefs, and that system of beliefs, you use that to build a framework for how you live your life. That's, in essence, what a religion is, all right? Now, the Pharisees in this story, they're missing a movement of God right in front of them because of the faulty framework that their religion had been built on. It wasn't faulty because of God. It was faulty because of them. They had crafted a faulty framework for how to live out this faith in God. And it's easy to overlook this one, uh, but the power of religion is really, really huge. The power of religion built on a faulty framework is dangerous. Is dangerous. Most acts of terrorism the world has ever known, whether it's flying planes into buildings or professing a faith in Jesus and shooting up a bunch of people in Georgia this last week. Those are built on the faulty infrastructure of religion. It's religion with faults in the mechanics. Um, it has nothing to do, nothing with the true nature of God. Thus, those that adhere to those things tend to miss out when God actually does show up and wants to do something. What happens is it makes you blind, and the Pharisees are blind in this situation. When they were confronted with a man who was blind but now could see, it's, it's a little bit like when we talked about the man who was walking in front of him who, who literally was crippled and couldn't walk up to the point he met Jesus, and he walks in front of them. They're more concerned with why he's carrying a mat than the fact that this guy can walk now. They totally miss what God could do. And this is no different. They're missing everything that God is doing because it didn't fit in their system. It didn't fit in their framework. It didn't fit in their paradigm. And because of that, they missed what God was doing. It happened the wrong way, and it happened on the wrong day for them. So it was, it was dismissed. And it's easy to sit back and point the finger at the Pharisees for using their traditions and their religion to remain blind to the work of God. But listen, the same thing happens to us. It happens to me all the time. A lot of traditions, a lot of religious traditions, a lot of the traditions that even this church has are sometimes built on the back of just religious practices that we've become so used to that we've kind of canonized them. There's no, there's no discussion about these things. And when we do that, what happens is our focus gets moved off of the things that really matter under the stuff that just doesn't in the long run. Okay, so how about the times of a church service? Is it, I mean, I don't know if it says, maybe I, I need to go back to school. It might say in scripture that you can only have church service at 9 and 11. I don't know. But what happens if we say, well, we need to move some things around, freak out. We, we all get, Ugh, we don't like it, because that's when church is supposed to be. You don't understand, Pastor, I got saved at an altar at the 9 a.m. service once. Okay, I'm okay, praise Jesus, so, but, but that's not in the Bible, okay? What about um, what worship song is used, or who gets to sing what? Though, I mean, anytime you start messing with anything that's tradition or, or we, we, we tend to land on these things, we get really agitated, but what it does is it really reveals where our focus is. Our focus is off. What's amazing to me is how much we miss of what God is consistently doing all around us. We're so concerned about some little thing that we, we fail to see the broken person that's sitting in the seats right now. 
who's desperate just to have somebody come alongside of them and say, can I pray for you today? What's going on in your life right now? What's God doing? What's God shown you recently? We miss those things because our eyes are focused on the wrong thing. How much more joy-filled would the Pharisees have been uh, to join in the praise of what God was doing right in front of them? But because of their religion, because of their traditions, because of their system, they were literally just completely blind to it. When you've got a spiritual blind spot, God can be doing something fantastic, and you'll totally miss it. Uh, You can see how you want things, or how you think things should be, which also means that when something uh, takes place that maybe doesn't fit our box of comfort, maybe doesn't fit the way we would do things, we start to get agitated, and the natural balance gets threatened, we don't like it because it feels like something's getting taken away from us, and when when that happens, sometimes we suffer the blind spot of fear of fear. When the Pharisees weren't hearing what they wanted to hear, they called the guy's parents in. This is a really interesting moment, I think, in this whole story. Uh, The guy's parents didn't want anything to do with it. Did you catch that in the story? They're like, hey man, he's a big boy now. Keep asking him. You know, we're not responsible for him anymore. So you have to ask, what were they afraid of? And and it kind of explains it in the scripture. This wasn't the world of synagogue shopping where you could just check into a different synagogue every single Sunday morning, whatever you felt like. Okay, that's, that's not how that world operated. That synagogue, those were your people. That was your family. That was your livelihood to a certain extent. Those people blessed or didn't bless your business. Uh, I mean, your, your life and identity was tied into that synagogue. So this couple, if they acknowledged the power of Jesus in their midst... Man, these people had a lot to lose. On the one hand, your son can see, which is pretty amazing. You've only ever known him as blind. Only ever known him as blind. And now he can see. He can see you for the very first time on on one hand. On the other, if you acknowledge that it was because of Jesus, your very identity begins to get stripped away. Your people abandon you. And so fear cripples them which is ironic, isn't it? I want to be clear. Religious persecution is a thing. It does happen. And that, that's what they were fearing, was persecution for standing up for Jesus, for saying this was a Jesus thing. Listen, religious persecution is a thing, but I, Rich Doring, have never not once and ever in my walk with Jesus, never not once, not even close, have I ever been persecuted because I worship Jesus. Never, not once. To claim persecution would be a horrific slap in the face of those who have suffered horribly because of their faith in Jesus. There are people on this planet today who have reason for legitimate fear. I've met a few of them. Reason for legitimate fear for their very lives and their identity due to their allegiance to Jesus. I ain't one of them. I've never suffered it. Instead, my fear, my fear, and maybe yours, if we're honest, rests possibly in losing out on some personal rights, some liberties, some comfort. If I acknowledge Jesus, it might cost me a friend, uh, 
some people that I once associated with might think, well, he got Jesus, you know, that happens. Uh, that might happen. Or maybe God might start asking me to give up some areas of my life that, frankly, I'm not ready to give up, don't want to give up. Personal comforts, personal privileges. I often wonder at times, as a leader of the very, the church, you know, I, I, I feel responsible. I wonder, in the Western church, what, what it would fully look like if we stopped living in the fear of personal sacrifice? I think churches would be living on the edge of faith. A people so given to the work of God in their own lives that they proclaim what the Apostle Paul said, it's no longer I who live, it's Jesus. He's the one who lives in me. It's him. A people more passionate for the soul and the health of their neighbor than they are in the comfort of living a life of personal rights, blinded by the fear of picking up a cross and what that might actually look like. The Bible is really clear, really clear as to the fear that we should have. The writer of Proverbs said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we truly fear the Lord, I think that's when we step out in faith. That's when we step out in boldness. Are we blind too? If our lives are controlled by judgment, misplaced religious focus and fear, yeah, I think we do. I think we do. And there's more. There's more blind spots. These are the ones that I see in this passage. So today, can I just challenge us? Um, Shelley's car... Uh, is notorious for its blind spots. There's like been articles written about the blind spots that her car has. So because I love her so much, I bought her that car. Um, but uh, her car, it does. It has these natural, the, the mirrors on the side, they're really, really teeny tiny. And if you turn, you've got to really try because there's just stuff in the way. So it does, it has these blind spots. So when she's driving back and forth from Wisconsin to Portage and back again these weekends, I know that as she's driving down the interstate, she's not just trusting those mirrors because she knows that she has blind spots. She knows that they are there. And so she makes the effort, extra effort. It, it dictates how she's, behind, she's acting behind the wheel. So she takes extra little steps. She looks a little clearer before she changes a lane or takes an exit. That's what you do when you know and acknowledge that you have those blind spots. And the thing about spiritual blind spots is that there is a difference between who, those who know and acknowledge, yeah, that's a blind spot for me, and people that don't. And here's the deal. In this passage, there are two kinds of people. There are people who can't see, and there are people who can't see who think they can. The bottom line is they're all blind. They're all blind. And the decision that I've highlighted here that we need to somehow address our blind spots so that you don't miss what God is doing in, the, in your midst right in front of you is really a, a secondary decision. The first decision is to admit that you have blind spots to begin with. That's the first decision. We all have them. And once we acknowledge those blind spots, it's going to impact how we treat one another. It's going to impact how we're more sensitive to what God is doing uh, in our neighborhood, in our homes, when we admit that those blind spots are there, we begin to address those blind spots. We'll be more gracious. We'll be more empathetic to those that may be going through something that we can't even relate to. But because they're going through something, and the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, we become more empathetic. 
to the things maybe we don't understand in somebody else's life that they might be going through, but we're going to weep with them. We're going to be Jesus with those people. If you don't acknowledge your blind spots, you'll spend life blind to what God is doing. And I can, I can almost guarantee you the relationships that you do have will never, they'll never be as full as what God intended for them to be. First John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My prayer for us as a church, I feel like this has been really heavy-handed today, so sorry. But my, my prayer for us as a church, because I'm excited, I am. I, every day I'm waking up like super excited about what God is doing and can do and is going to do. I just, I'm super excited about that. My prayer for us is that we would keep moving forward and asking God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we do not miss out on what God is doing and wants to do. I've said this a couple times. I'll probably say it a million times. He's saying it again. Our world has changed. Our world has changed. But what an incredible opportunity to manifest what it means to be the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, we are being handed so many opportunities to show a loving world, or a, a, a hurting world, what a loving Jesus looks like through our lives, through our witness. I don't want to miss that. I don't want us to miss that. Before closing in prayer, can I just share with you where we're going to go over the next few months? Uh, first of all, baptism is next Sunday. We're we're super excited. This is your last opportunity. Uh, I want to I want to just give you a little precursor. I know sometimes we've done spontaneous baptisms in our church and stuff. I've asked uh, that this time at least we kind of go through a process. So if you are desiring to be baptized, uh, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now. There's a card on a seat near you. I want to encourage you to fill that out. Today's the last opportunity to do that. And so I'm encouraging you to do that. The reason is I want the opportunity to be able to speak to you and, uh, and share with you the heart of what baptism is, is all about. Immediately after this, I'm going over to the cry room over here, uh, and uh, I'm going to meet with a group of people. If you've signed up for baptism, you've not met with me over there yet, please do that. I've got a few instructions I want to go th through with you and, and just some information. So uh, if that's you, head on over there. If, if you haven't signed up yet, grab that card and come over if you just got questions or want to learn more. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. But first of all, uh, I do want to invite you back uh, for Good Friday. Good Friday. Our Good Friday service is at 7 p.m. We're going to be doing something unique that night. There's going to be several different people participating uh, with us. It's just going to be an incredible night as we begin that weekend of Easter. So speaking of Easter, our Easter services are 9, 10, 30, and 12. Super excited about Easter, and uh, it's just going to be an incredible time. 9 and 10, 30 are also going to be online. So 9 and 10, 30 are also going to be online, and 9 and 10, 30, there will also be children's activities during those two services as well. So keep that in mind. The 12 o'clock service, everybody's just in here for a big party. That's just how we're going to do it. So, uh, but 9 and 10.30, those are online, and the children's opportunities are offered during that as well. You have an invitation on your seat. Take that invitation and lose it, not on the floor of your car. 
Take it to your neighbor. Take it to the person who cuts your hair. Do whatever you do, but share that information with somebody. It's an incredible opportunity to invite somebody to hear the gospel message. And I'm going to tell you right point blank what I'm going to tell everybody who walks to the door on Easter Sunday morning right at the get-go. I will ask you to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. There's no reason not to. (laughs) So up front, the gospel is going to be presented on Easter Sunday, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of that as we partner together to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then really quick, before that, the Saturday before that, uh, the Saturday before Easter, there's an Easter egg hunt, 15,000 eggs. It's going to be in the back 40 over here. I don't know if it's 40. It's not 40. So, but that's just what I say. So it's going to be in, in the backyard over here. It's going to be hilarious and fun. And uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. So make sure if you've got kids in your neighborhood, whatever, bring them, bring them. All right, last one. Starting on April 11th, going into the middle of May, we're going to start a new series called As It Is. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a, there's a point where Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does it look like for the kingdom to come in the region as it is in heaven? And the reality is it's going to come through people like you and me living out kingdom lives. So what does it look like for us to live out lives of kingdom citizenship? And uh, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at that from the Sermon on the Mount together. And uh, it's just going to be a really great opportunity for you to anchor in and, uh, and charge ahead as we move forward. Sound like a deal? All right. Thanks for being here this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father, I know in my own life that uh, there have been really stark moments where I've had blind spots. And unfortunately, sometimes it took a crash in order for me to acknowledge that they were there. My prayer for us is that it would not get to that point, but we would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, our minds, Father, to what you show us so that, uh, Father, we don't miss what you're doing right in front of us. We know that you're doing things right in front of us. Every single one of us, if we open our eyes wide enough, would have God stories each and every day of where we see you at work. So, Father, would you open us up, open our mind, so we can see what you're doing around us. And then help us to step into the journey. Help us to step into the flow of the Spirit. So, Father, we're not only witnessing what you're doing, but we're a part of what you're doing in the world around us. And as we begin to pray, as we begin to think through who we might invite to Easter, that's just one ingredient of that. What an opportunity, Father to step into the flow of what you're already doing. We're going to be celebrating on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, Father, we want to celebrate more lives that have given themselves over to Jesus. So would you impress upon our hearts who we can invite uh, to hear the gospel and to celebrate with us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for the love that you have for us and the way you've shown it to us. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said.